Well, without a doubt, the Christmas season has started, and, and maybe you are even thinking about Christmas. In fact, maybe you got caught up in the spirit of things and already started getting busy with this. With this. <laughs> the Black Friday sales, right? Boy, were there a lot of commercials out about going shopping, huh? And, and the urgency they seem to imply that we should feel with going out there and getting those deals because you know they will only last on Friday. But then you got an email on Saturday said, and it's still Black Friday and gonna end Saturday night. And some are saying, well, it'll even end on Sunday. And of course, tomorrow it'll be Cyber Monday. But they seem to play off that urgency that people have of now. You've got to get it now. So the question is, are you a now person or a later person? <laughs> In other words, did you put off all of that Christmas shopping and not go out with all the crowds and the frenzy? That's what I did. I didn't want to be part of all that. That's too much. So sometimes we will put things off a little bit, which brings me to my next question, and that is, all right, got a little technical problem there in the back. <laughs> Are you living for today or for tomorrow? Living for today might mean you're thinking about the now, the things you need or want now. You're living about what you can do now. You're not really worried about tomorrow. Everything is about now, 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 today. Now, if you're living for tomorrow, you might be the kind of person who maybe holds back on your spending because you want to save for tomorrow. Or maybe all your plans and energy are going into things that are going to benefit you for tomorrow your educa education, your, your career, maybe you're thinking about family planning or retirements or, or a trip you're going to take later on. So you're thinking farther down the road, not too concerned about today. Well, which are you? Do you live for today or do you live for tomorrow? But what I really want you to think about is, do you live for eternity? Back room, are you <laughs> living for eternity? You might wonder, how can I be living for eternity when I'm here in the now? Well, God gives us an example of that with Abraham. Abraham is a man that's held up as an example of faith for us. And this month, as we've been talking about being thankful. Abraham reminds us about being thankful for our heavenly home. And even though we're living in the now, he reminds us that we can live for eternity in the now. Look how he did it. From the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, 
as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, people the last couple of days were probably more concerned about what they were able to buy, what they were able to get for, for now, for today. And that's because we live for the now, don't we? Because we live in the now. Those things we want, those things we need, we want to get them now. So even if you are a person who likes to put things off maybe till tomorrow, or thinking about tomorrow, you're still focused on the here and the now. Abraham was reminding us about eternity. But to do so, he was also reminding us that we're doing it while we are living here. Now, we are told that Abraham, as he was living here, was living in a particular way that stood out from everybody else. You see, he was living as a stranger in a foreign country. Abraham was asked by God to move from where he was, which was up in the upper Mesopotamia region. There's a map of it here. He was up in the land called Haran. And God called him to move down to Canaan. Now, you and I have probably moved in our life. We've certainly taken trips. I think the way Abraham handled it was quite a bit different than our way of handling it. You know, if we go on a trip or something, we like to have everything all planned out and in order. We want a schedule. We'll take a look at a map or use our GPS to get there. We'll even look at places online ahead of time, making sure we can get a four-star or five-star hotel. But Abraham was not like that at all. The only thing he had to go on was God's promise in his heart. And so he went to this land of Canaan. And here's what it was like when he got there. Abraham traveled through the land. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So Abraham shows up, and there's, of course, other people living there. That was their home. But Abraham came and did so with this in mind, that we live by faith and not by sight. He wasn't discouraged that this was a new area. He wasn't discouraged that there was all sorts of other people around. He was simply trusting in the promises of God that this land was going to be his home. And so he lived in such a way that, that showed he was living by faith and not by sight. Well, that's hard for us to do, isn't it? Because we like to see the evidence. We like to see the proof. We want some assurance that things are going in the right way. But Abraham, he did it simply trusting in God's word. And that moved him then also to live for eternity. That's what it meant to live as a stranger in a foreign land. He knew that his final destination, his real home, 
was heaven. Canaan was just a land of promise, not a possession. He was holding on to something far better, the the city that he said had foundations. And he showed that in how he lived. He lived in tents. He didn't buy a house. He didn't build a house. He didn't even buy any land other than a burial plot. Because this was not his home. He was living forward. What are you like? How do you characterize your living? Are you a person who's uh, living for today or living for tomorrow? Are you one who's living by faith or by sight? It seems that we rely so much on, on sight. And then we'll think that that's really living by faith. As long as that sight agrees with the way I think things should be going, then that's the evidence that this is by faith. But that's not it at all. Living by faith means you are trusting what God sees. You are trusting how God leads. Now, to be sure, there are a lot of nows, a lot of todays, between now and eternity. But we can live by faith, which means to simply have that readiness to move on to that next stage, that next position in our life, simply trusting that this is how God is leading us and where he's leading us to. Now Abraham, we are told, looked at Canaan as his inheritance, but thinking of it only in the terms of that heavenly Canaan. He saw himself as an heir, and so it is that God, too, has called us called us to be his children. And that means we also are heirs. Now, being an heir means you're going to get an inheritance. And you're getting it out of the goodness of the person who's giving that to you. Not that you've earned it, but the person likes you and wants to give you something. But you don't have it yet. You are waiting. And so you are looking forward to what is coming. Abraham was looking forward to. He wasn't simply looking at all the earthly things that he had. He was looking beyond all of that. He wasn't living for today. He knew that even that land that God had promised was something that would come later. In, those, in that Bible verse, that description of him, it said that he was waiting for and was looking forward. Now, the form of those two words in the original Greek language meant this was something he was doing continuously. It wasn't just a one time or a here or there. He was always waiting. He was always looking forward to. That's what characterized his life. So whatever else was going on in his life, he knew that he could just look forward and live forward because it wasn't about life here. So whatever hardships he endured, he made his way through it. Whatever persecution he experienced, scorn from all these Canaanites living around him, 
He endured it. What kept him going was that promise of God. That's what emboldened him and empowered him and enlightened him to keep going. The promise of God. He knew that that promise was so powerful and so precious that he did one more thing with it. He passed it on to his children. He made sure that they knew the promise as well. And so our Bible passage told us that Isaac and Jacob also lived in tents. They lived as sojourners in a foreign land. They too were looking and living forward based on the promise of God. Well, you and I are heirs also. We've been given a call by God to be his children. And so that makes us heirs of eternity. We will live in today, but we can live for eternity. That is, we don't have to live like this life is it, and that this life is the best there is, and therefore this is the all in all and get what you can. No, because we know there's much more and much better that's coming. Living for eternity means we are going to live as heirs of that precious heaven that God has in store for us. And that means we are simply going to trust what he says. We will persevere through our hardships and challenges. We're going to put off sin and its desires and instead desire the things of God. We're going to focus our lives on eternity and prepare ourselves for that. And then, knowing how precious, precious it is, we're going to pass it on to others as well. That's what it means to live for eternity. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, eternity, that's a ways off yet, right? I probably have at least a few more years. We are so tied into calendars and timelines that thinking about heaven, we think that's off a ways. But here's the truth. Heaven and eternity is only a heartbeat away for each one of us. And we don't know when that heartbeat will be. So we need to be living for eternity in today so that we are always ready, holding to that promise of God. But as we're living here, we can also live in heaven, so to speak. That is, we can keep our focus there and know what heaven is like. That's the question, right? Is heaven real? And what's heaven like? Well, we get a little bit of a description from that passage we had today. There, the writer told us that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations. He had been living in tents the whole time, very temporary. But heaven, he said, was like living in a place that was firm that was founded. He said it was all designed by God, prepared by him. God is the one who has put together that perfect paradise for us. 
You remember the words we heard earlier in the service from uh, John chapter 14? Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you. Now, what is Jesus doing that he's preparing a place? Like, is he sitting there with tools and designing a room for me? Or what's he doing? The preparation that Jesus has done to make a place for us was what he did when he was here. The fact that he lived under all of the laws of God in our place and did so perfectly so that you and I have a righteousness that qualifies us now to stand with God. Jesus then took away our debt and the punishment for our sins by suffering that for us. And then he rose from the dead to show us his power over death and that that same power will be used to raise us again and to give us physical as well as spiritual eternal life. That's what Jesus has done. Heaven is all prepared, and that's why it's real. It was done by Jesus. When Abraham refers to it as a city with foundations, he means it's permanent, right? He'd been living in a tent, something he rolled up all the time, put on his camel, and moved on. Nothing permanent about that. But a city that's founded on, on a foundation, that's permanent. Now, exactly what makes it permanent? Well, we are told that when John saw heaven, he saw the foundations. It said the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So does that mean then that the foundation of heaven is the apostles, people who are like you and me, sinners, doubtful, weak? No. The Apostle Paul reminded us that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. That means they were all lined up with Jesus himself being the chief, the important cornerstone for that foundation. So it's what they taught in connection with Jesus that made this a firm foundation. And that's why Paul also said that no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Putting it this way, heaven is real because Jesus is real. And what he has done for us is absolutely certain. That's the foundation for heaven. When John was given that vision of heaven, he also gives us a description of it that makes it sound very precious. He wrote this. He said, there, the foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Now he goes on and he lists the stones and it doesn't really do us anything to look at those stones, but what he's telling us this is that it was very valuable, more valuable than anything here that it was imperishable and beautiful. That's the description we have of this city with foundations. But there's even more. You know, Abraham had moved from an area that was on the Euphrates River to Canaan, a land that was very arid, very dry. But what he was looking forward to was a city 
that had a fountain, a fountain of life. John saw that fountain. He described it this way. There we go. (laughs) For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Jesus is going to be there and give us water that will continue to give us life, eternal life. And that means that that life there in heaven is abundant. It'll never end. It'll never run dry. It'll never fade. Never be short of anything. It's going to be filled with blessings. That's how John described it in the reading we had before. Jesus said to him, it is done. It's all prepared. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. And those who are victorious will inherit all this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. He's simply describing for us a life that is filled with blessings. And here's the greatest one. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. That's the beauty that God gives us of heaven. He is there giving us life. You know, you probably heard in your study of history how people have often been looking for the fountain of youth, this magical, mythical fountain that could give them life. In fact, the explorer from Europe in the 1500s, Ponce de Leon, He went all the way to find that fountain of youth, and he thought he found it in all places, Florida. And he drank from that fountain and thought he would have life eternal. But he died. And so has everyone else who has been looking for this mythical fountain of youth. Well, my friends, God has promised us a fountain of of life, and that's not a legend. Heaven is for real. And not because some little boy had a near-death experience and said he went to heaven and now there's a book and there's a movie about it. No, it's real because Jesus said it's for real. And you and I have it. So while we're living in today, let's also be reminded to live for eternity, prepared with faith and with hearts that are thankful for our heavenly home. Now, because you and I have it, and because there are people who are searching for it, let's share with them what we have, the truth in Jesus. Amen.